0: How can I know God is real? What does the Bible say about politics? Why does a good God allow suffering? If you have questions about faith, life or culture, don't be afraid to ask. This This is is Ask with David Dean. G'day everyone, Dave Dean here. And our question for the week is, isn't it the case that biblical teachings create more sin and hate in the world, e.g. sexuality? The Bible certainly does contain all sorts of different teachings and instructions and all sorts of different issues for different people in different times, in different places, for different purposes. Some of those instructions are still relevant today, some of them are not, because throughout human history, God has worked out his plan of salvation for humanity in different ways. The means of salvation has always been the same, by grace through faith, but the mode of how that has been worked out with humanity has changed. Let me give just a few examples. After sin and the fall in Genesis chapter 3, we moved into a time of government. Uh, Then we moved into a time of law under the theocracy of nation Israel, then a time of the prophets, and then finally now God is speaking to us through the mediation of his son Jesus, as Hebrews 1 tells us. Jesus is the final revelation of God. So when we read an ethical instruction in the Bible, what we need to do first of all is, as a part of the interpretive process, ask ourselves, is this a moral prescription relevant for us today, or is it a description of what was given for a particular people in a particular time for a particular purpose? The point is, while some laws or instructions in the Bible may seem arbitrary to you and I, when we put them in their proper historical biblical context, we see that they actually had a real purpose for a real people in a real time. Take, for example, the instruction in Leviticus 11 about abstaining from eating pork. At first glance, this just seems arbitrary to you and I. I mean, of all people, Christians happen to enjoy a good slab of ham to celebrate Jesus' birth at Christmas. So what is Leviticus 11 all about? Well, when we put that instruction within its historical context, what we see is, along with a host of of other instructions as well, God had a specific purpose for ancient Israel. Pork abstinence was one way that God made Israel look different from all of the other nations around them. So that when people talked about Israel and and the God that they worshipped, they said, oh, yeah, they are those people who don't eat pork. You see, it wasn't an arbitrary law. It was a way of distinguishing God's people as unique in the world, not to mention some of the other health benefits that scholars have indicated or suggested may have been the case as well. Now, that instruction is obviously no longer in effect today because we don't live under theocratic Israel, but that doesn't mean that everything in the Bible is defunct or no longer relevant. The civil and ceremonial laws of ancient Israel are no longer in effect, but God's moral law and instructions very much are Because good and evil, if they are anything at all, are not relative concepts. Some examples of God's moral laws and instructions include what and how we are to worship, how we are to speak and to treat other people, and even our sexual thoughts and activities. You see, while at first glance the biblical teachings on sexual ethics may seem arbitrary to our 21st century ears, like the issue of eating pork— which only makes sense when we put it within the context of ancient Israel. The biblical teaching about sex only makes sense when we put it in the larger context of this universe being God's creation, with specific plans and purposes and processes and patterns. If God is God and he has designed this world, including you and I, then it makes sense that he knows how best to live this thing called life, part of which includes our sexuality. The reason God cares about who you and I sleep with is because, frankly, he cares about us. Who we sleep with matters because it affects us deeply. And that Christianity has sexual borders and boundaries is not really surprising because when you think about it, we all have sexual borders and boundaries. That's why abuse is so devastating because it is a violation of these borders and boundaries that we all have. But the question then comes in, who or what draws these borders or boundaries and what is legitimate and illegitimate expression of sex and sexuality? Well, undergirding the Christian worldview is a deep conviction that Jesus is God and that he knows what's best for us. And the moral constraints he gives us in the Bible are there for our good. They are instructions for how we can live and flourish in this thing called life. You see, we aren't left on a high sea without a chart or a compass. God has given us an orientation for how we are to live and move and have our being. Now, there's a lot of people who frankly don't see this world as God's creation with particular patterns and purposes and processes, And as a consequence, it should come then as no surprise that God's instructions aren't well received. You see, in rejecting God, people effectively pursue their own ends, deviating from God's plan, pattern, and purpose for how we should live in pursuit of their own ends. So now this tension comes between how God says we should live and how we think we should live, between what God says is right and wrong and what we think is right and wrong. And that's where the conflict really lies. So all of that to say, I don't think it's that God's word, the Bible, creates more hate and sin. I think it's the fact that there is an already broken world out there in hate and sin. But as the Bible says, Romans 5, 20 to 21, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, everyone who does wrong hates the light and will not come into the light, John three twenty. But here's the good news. There's a grace abounding. There is a light. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Friends, we have an orientation. We have a guide. We have a way for navigating this thing and all of its complexities called life. Living in the light is not easy. Again, we will all be tempted to recall back into our old way of doing things. But it is right. And it is for our good and it is for our ultimate flourishing. Jesus said he has come that we may have life and have it to the full. Today there is so much hype about sexuality and gender, and it just breaks my heart when I hear people say that this issue of sexuality or sexual ethics is the greatest stumbling block, because Christianity isn't about your sexuality. Of course God is concerned with it, that's what I've been saying so far, but he's far more concerned with you, and you are far more than your sexuality. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking that you need to get it all right and get all cleaned up before you can become a Christian, can I just say that's not what Christianity is about. The biblical teaching is that you come to Jesus as you are. what's and all, I come to Jesus as dirty as I am. And together, Jesus is the one who cleans us up. It's not about getting your ethics right and then getting Jesus. It's about getting Jesus and watch the way he renovates your entire life. And the marvellous thing about all of that is, It's a reality that you and I can never earn. But thanks be to God, who in Jesus Christ offers salvation to us all as a free gift. Do you have a question about Christian beliefs, theology, doctrine, philosophy or culture? Don't be afraid to ask. Go to drcdean.com forward slash ask. That's Dean with an E.